Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in on a little bit of everything with me, and I am your host, Angelica. This is a podcast that talks about a little bit of everything, so sit back and enjoy the show. and welcome back to another episode of a little bit of everything with me today my guest she's got so many books she's got a journey of healing from physical and emotional trauma but we are here to talk about a little bit of everything welcome hana to the show how are you doing today i'm doing great i'm so happy to be here thank you so much for having me well thank you for you know your time because I'm excited and I would love to get to know you and of course my listeners. But before we even get into it, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, so I was born in Bogota, Colombia. So even though my English sounds very American, I'm actually mm-hmm. originally Colombian and my most comfortable language is Spanglish. I moved as a kid to Miami <laughs> and uh, the, the, the move in and of itself was a pretty traumatic experience. We had men who came into our house with guns and threatened to kidnap my sisters and me. And it was pretty scary and ugly. And we fled the country very quickly. And um, I was only allowed to take one object with me. So I got to, I got to take this brown teddy bear Mm -hmm. named Cookie who now looks so forlorn and so ugly. <laughs> and I absolutely adore this very ugly little creature um, and, um, and still have it. I still have this bear. And that really got me reeling into this whole process of a uh, tremendous amount of fear uh, that led to tr- crazy nightmares and anxiety and depression. And in trying to find a way to to heal and to hum, to come into whole, wholeness, I devoured so many self-help books like a lot of people do mm-hmm. and went to courses and workshops and eventually have really come to a place of so much more joy and centeredness in my life. And it's something that I really try to give to others. So that's a, that's a big goal. Wow. So this is crazy. Um, what you've gone through from moving to Colombia to Miami and all of a sudden this is happening, I cannot, wow, that's a lot for someone to go through, especially, like, how old are you? Were you just very young as a kid when this happened? Yeah, I was five. Oh my gosh, wow. I cannot, that's crazy. It's something that I usually see in the movie. and this In the is, movies, yeah, it was like in the movies. Holy yeah. crap, and then now you're telling me that you've gone through this? That's like, that's crazy so you speak spanish so you're not fluent in spanish (laughs) so i'm fluent in spanish but i'm i love being able to pick and choose from different languages the words that just sort of suit me best um Mm -hmm. so i'm also fluent in hebrew i live in jerusalem and when i get to speak to someone who knows english and spanish and hebrew that's like the best because then we jump between all the different languages and there's certain words that are so iconic in a given language and it's so fun to be able to use it 
in just the right place. Or it's just the word that comes into your head. So you get to say it. It's fun. <laughs> yeah. Cause yeah. Uh, believe it or not, um, my parents are from Nicaragua and, ah. um, I was born in Canada. So I do, I was taught to, I was taught Spanish as soon as I came out basically. And, um, I didn't speak English until I got to school. Um, uh, when I was in like three or four, when you go into that, the pre years of grade one, uh, but yeah, I was just like, I can't believe you were in Miami, which Miami to me is like a second home because uh, we used to travel a lot there um, during the summer months. And also um, I have family there. So for me to hear that, it breaks my heart that you had to go through that. And I know I hear so many things that happen in Miami behind the scenes. And yes, it does freak me out. But who would have thought that something I would see in the movie that something you experience and you know, were you able, as you got older and you moved to Jerusalem, um, was it that traumatic event still following you? Yeah. So I, I, I kind of, um, in my head, I'd created this story. Little kids have a tendency to, to try to make sense of the world through a story that they make in their heads. And a lot of times their stories are just super duper out to lunch, but unless they get to talk that story out with an adult who can kind of help them to readjust their story, they get really stuck to it. They really attached to it. So my story was that um, these bad men were coming after me. And just like in the movies where the bad men would like research and find out where you were and go after, you know, people. So I thought they were going to do that with me. And so I was always uh, scared that bad men were going to come find me and kidnap me. And as I got older, I, my, my fear was that they were going to rape me. And then I decide, I guess, because I really needed to heal, I decided to move, um, to Jerusalem during the second intifada. And so in addition to just walking down streets and if anybody was walking behind me, I literally just, my imagination would turn them into a bad guy who was chasing me. And I'd walk down the street in any city in the world and be like turning my head all the time because I just wanted to be able to visualize who was behind me and just be scared that they were coming after me. And my heart would start to race. And, um, and then my cafe got blown up and my bus got blown up and I was on a date with a guy and uh, downtown and we walked, he walked me home to a different part of downtown where I lived. And by the time we got to my house, which was a 10 minute walk away from the center of downtown, we heard an explosion where, you know, there was a triple bombing in the heart of downtown where we just were. So like, I really had to face like all of my fears over and over and over again, which has been such a tremendous gift because sometimes we can literally run away and think that we've escaped that thing that we're scared of, but the fear lives inside of us. And it was really great for so many of my fears to live outside of me so that I could actually face them. And despite the fact that there's still terrorism that goes on in my country, I don't, I don't walk down the street scared anymore because I've done so much work on my fear and, and fear doesn't seem to protect me, <laughs> even though we think it does. Mm -hmm. So, so it definitely followed me here and, um, and met me here in mm -hmm. scary ways. And it's been a real blessing. And you know what, the, when you talk about it, of course, if miss correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like you've, um, overcome you've accepted it for what it is but you've were it seems like you you you, you recover from this whole experience yeah thank god yeah. wow it's really cool to say that 
It's really cool to say that. I don't think anybody's ever directly asked me that question in that way, but yeah, I have. Because I can sense it from your voice and the way you're explaining it. It's, it's like, for example, with me, it's like, you know, I, I have a learning disability, dyslexia, and for pretty much all my life, I've always been like, I'm open about this situation. Um, I'm not open about this gift. But now it's like three years ago, I said, you know what? I am dyslexic. I have a learning disability and I'm okay with it because, you know, it took so many years to really kind of like, I'm not disclosing it, go to a job, went to, went to college and said, you know what, I don't want any part of it because you're angry because, you know, things mm. never went your way. And then till three years ago, I'm just like, you know what? Hey, this gift, I, it's who I am. It's part of me. And I'm unique. Everyone's different in their own ways. And that's just, that's the way it is. And to also see that all of the challenges that came with it actually brought you to where you are today. Exactly. It brought you on a journey of exploration. So now I'm like, wow, it brought me to Miami. Um, it's very possible that I now live in Israel because of that experience. And I absolutely love my life. Um, it brought me to have a tremendous amount of compassion for other people who've gone through traumatic events. Um, because thank God I have a really solid family and even my extended family is very solid. So to have gone through something that really shook us up in that way, um, really forced me to have to deal with a, like a lot of my most biggest inner fears that, that are kind of part of the collective consciousness. So I can tap into other people's experiences and really have understanding and compassion for them. So plus I learned English, which is really great. Because <laughs> I get to talk to you. So it's like, okay, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, for sure. And you know what? It's, I feel like, are you a public speaker or some sort of coach? Yes. Yeah, so, so I'm a vitality coach. I work with um, people in individuals and I also work in groups and I run retreats and I teach classes. So, yeah. Because I'm telling you this, and I'm be completely honest, you have a voice. You have a voice that you can really change people's lives, teach them, um, motivate them. It's I, I could hear you all day. <laughs> Thank you. That's really sweet to hear. Thanks. I don't know if it's like the Spanish in you, because the you know some of us. Uh, our, our parents taught us to be very confident and, you know, use that voice that we have, but I, I can, I can hear it in your voice, how passionate you are about this, your projects. And also when you talked about your experience at the beginning, I'm just like, I'm, I'm shooken. Like I'm sitting here, like, mm. I can't believe what this person's telling me. Like I saw this, I could have sworn it last week on a movie and now I'm really hearing it. It's like deja vu or something. Like, was she that character in that movie? Because it's pretty scary. And then you being open, which I have to say thank you. And everyone that's been on the show who really talks about those hardships, just as like yours, but like, you know, in different situations, I'm just like blown away how people, and I love it that you are able to talk about it so freely because you never know who's out there who's experienced this problem and you know and I know you said gift which is when we say gifts that means like we are there at that point in our life where I can't believe this like I can talk about it and nothing's phasing me hmm. so I really thank you for it. that yeah 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 and how was your transition so 
you know, living in Colombia, going into Miami and flying to Jerusalem. That's quite a bit of a long flight. <laughs> yeah. So I was just in Miami. It's a really long flight. Um, it took it's like 13 hours to get to Miami from here. Um, so, so I'm a Jew and um, something my people have been doing since we, um, since the Romans came in and plundered and pillaged and raped and murdered millions of our people um, and scattered us into the four corners of the earth, we've been praying to come home. Um, so we have three times a day, we have structured prayer that happens three times a day. And during that structured prayer, we, we pray to come home to Israel and to rebuild our, our lives and our central um, governance here in Jerusalem. And multiple other times of the day, when we eat, um, before we go to bed, when we wake up, there's so many different times where we're yet again recalling Jerusalem and recalling our desire to come back home to Israel. So it's something that historically was a very difficult thing for the Jewish people to do. Like individuals were able to come and live here. And we've always had people living here, but it's been very small. And so over the past uh, couple hundred years, we've managed to slowly but surely rebuild our nation here. And it's so amazing to be literally living the prayers of my ancestors for 2000 years. I'm like a walking miracle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, it's like, if you think about like a, uh, a woman who like, I have a girlfriend right now who, whose baby is preemie in the hospital. And like all of these people are praying for this baby. And every time there's like an update that like, oh, the baby's breathing on her own and oh, her heart is working and oh, she had the blood transfusion and oh, it went okay. Like all these little details and we're all praying for her and we're all praying for her. And I know because I've been through this with enough girlfriends who had preemies that I know when I see this girl a decade from now, playing with her friends as though that's totally normal, mm -hmm. I'm going to be looking at her and thinking she's a miracle. She's a walking miracle. Yeah. And the product of the prayers of so many people. And like, that's how I feel about myself and all of my neighbors. Like we're mm -hmm. literally walking miracles of all of our ancestors. So it's, it's a pretty cool thing to be able to live here. Yeah, that is a pretty cool thing. And, you know, I've seen it a lot through shows and, you know, people who travel and kind of give you a glimpse of what the country's like. And, you know, um, I think Conan O'Brien, the comedian, was there too, doing one of his segments. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a holy, it's a whole, it's the holy land. And, um, you know, I would love to go there um, and take my parents because it's, you know, we have a religious background too. And um, that's one place that you got to visit at least once in your lifetime and, mm. you know, really experience the culture and everything that comes with it. Um, but I, th that's amazing that you found a place that, cause it's not easy when you're always moving around because, you know, something has happened and, and you were able to just accept, grow into it and enjoy it. It's the story of my people. We've yeah. been booted around from place to place for a really long time. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Now, when you go to Miami and back. Yes. I can imagine the culture of it being different. It's, it's like, how would you describe that? 
So there's a, there's a, a tremendous amount of passion for life amongst the Jewish people here in the land of Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, we're obsessed with children. People have lots of children here. Mm-hmm. Even people who have no religious affiliation whatsoever mm-hmm. are likely to have three to four children. Um, and we love children. We love life. We, everyone treats everyone else like family uh, to the point that you, know, you might, if you're walking around with a baby, there's a really good chance that every five minutes, somebody's going to be yelling at you that the baby's too cold or the baby's too hot or the baby can't breathe or the baby's breathing too much or you need to do this or you need to do that. And it's really sweet. And um, that there's this familial sense and this passion for life and the community that we're in here in central Jerusalem is a community of people who are truth seekers and people who are very passionate about seeking authenticity and being very real and about talking about the things that really matter. And it's a bit of a culture shock to go to Miami where there's tons of advertising everywhere and everyone's very preoccupied with external things like how they look and how their houses are and how they're dressing and how much money they make. And I know a number of people here who I meet and I don't even know what they do professionally and it doesn't particularly matter. A very large number of people who've known my husband and myself for years Mm -hmm. don't know that my husband runs an internet retail business. They have no idea. Mm -hmm. And it's cool. Like it's just more about really being real with people as who they are. So that's a bit of a culture shock every time we go. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you guys have beaches, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not familiar with the geography of Jerusalem. It's been a long time. So so Jerusalem is right in the center of the country Okay, and we're up in the mountains. But if we drive uh, 45 minutes west, we get to Tel Aviv. And the western coast of Israel are amazing beaches. Mm -hmm. The sand is the consistency of flour. And it's cool and soft against your skin. It's not Mm -hmm. like hard sand like in Miami. It's beautiful. Uh And if you go um, 45 minutes east of Jerusalem, you hit the Dead Sea, which is a different kind of beach. Mm -hmm. um, But it's the lowest point on earth. And the water is so salty that you automatically float when you go into it. Your whole body just floats. You could read a book. I've seen uh, videos of people um, on YouTube when they go to the Dead Sea and and they take like a snippet of their experience. And I'm just like, that is so awesome. And I was going to ask you the comparison between Miami and um, Jerusalem. Of course, since you grew up most of your life in Jerusalem, you say Jerusalem has the better beaches in Miami. <laughs> so, so I'm, I've been here for 20 years. So, mm-hmm. and in Miami for 20 years, some kind of a like split between those two places. Um, for sure. Tel Aviv has much, much nicer. The West coast of Israel has much nicer beaches. I don't think anybody else, anybody would argue with that. There's um, the water's really prime for surfing and for any other surfing type things like parasailing and things like that. Um, and the, the sand is just so soft and so <laughs> nice. Um, so for me, it's so much better than Miami. Um, mm-hmm. But we, we don't go to Tel Aviv all that much, to be honest. We don't really leave Jerusalem. We like our lives here. We're very like foot people. Mm-hmm. So to drive for 45 minutes to go to the beach doesn't particularly interest us. So we spend a lot of time just walking and hiking in the mountains. 
Well, that's beautiful too. Um, I, I can imagine the landscapes that you're, you're seeing every day. And cause like I said, I see it in shows or in movies or in documentaries and I'm just like, wow, wow, wow. And I keep telling myself, you know, this is one place I got to visit once in my life. Like I have to, um, it's, it would be an amazing experience for sure. So something that uh, friends of ours who used to live in Massachusetts and now live in Israel, what they used to do is they had a bank account um, that was specifically geared towards their visits to Israel. They made it a point to at least once every couple of years to come to Israel on vacation with their family. And that's an expense. You're talking about tickets and, and an apartment mm-hmm. and all of these different things. So they had this separate bank account and they put money into that account every day, every week, whatever it is, until over time they had enough money to go on a trip and then they would go on a trip. And that feels very much related to um, the book that my husband and I just published two weeks ago. So we're like totally in celebratory mode. It's called The Cash Machine. And the book really teaches people about financial literacy and financial independence. And one of the things that we notice is that when it comes to money, people don't particularly have a clear goal of what money is for and what it's about. Mm-hmm. And so they just like get a job because that's what you're supposed to do. And even better, they go to college to get a job because that's what you're supposed to do and never really make an accounting as to whether college is the most financially effective move that they can make. And, um, and then when they get a job, they just like spend all of the money that they make. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, the data shows that no matter how much money people make, that continues to be true. So as people's income rises, their credit card debt also rises. And so people's spending habits are are massive in the United States. And so what happens is like if they have uh, something that's important to them, like going on a trip to Israel, for example, unless they have a clear vision of what their money is and what it's for and what it's about, not only do they not plan for their retirement, they also don't plan for big trips like going to Israel. They kind of wait for some financial windfall to come upon them. So it's like a really neat thing to be able to really stop and question like, what are my financial goals long-term and short-term? And how much money can I allocate towards things like vacations and uh, celebrations and clothing and, you know, like sort of budgeting for short-term things, but also having a long view so that in the long term, you're not 80 years old and still having to work in order to pay, you know, pay the bills and eat. No, well, that's, that's, a, this is a great book because, you know, it's true what you're saying. It's, we go into college university because I, it's just, I think what we are quote air, air quotes, what we're supposed to do. Um, I feel like when I was growing up, it was like, you have to get an education in something. You got to get that piece of paper. You got to get that piece of paper. It didn't matter what it was. It was just, we had to get that piece of paper because, you know, it's like that, I guess that custom here in the, in the Americas where you finish high school, you go into a college or university, you do your career after you're done. Hey, you're not always going to get the job because that didn't happen to me until 10 years later um, <laughs> because I went into architectural technology and you're like you said, you're, you've got the student debt, you've got everything you're trying to, your car breaks down all of a sudden you're like, Oh great. How am I supposed to get to work? And, you know, being in Toronto, it's, 
at the time I wasn't living in Toronto. I was living further north, so I would travel. You really to need Toronto. a car. You need a car, and plus, if you if you see these job opportunities pop up, you're kind of like, I've worked probably in seven different cities and the in the uh, surroundings of Toronto. And Toronto's pretty big. Um, you can once you leave Toronto, it's another town, it's another city, and you keep going. It's another city. It's very close by, but it's big. So, I'm you know that what you're what you were just telling me about your book it's it's so true you're like you're trying to sacrifice they say you have to sacrifice in order to take to do that commute to get that out job opportunity because you never know what's going to happen you try it for a couple of years and you're kind of bouncing around that that was my life because i'm like it's unbelievable how i graduated i did what i could all of a sudden there's a recession hitting in toronto at the time with construction uh, a lot of layoffs smaller businesses were shutting down I was like do I go back to school and become an architect is that going to benefit me do I have the grades no but should I try to apply anyway and then I'm stuck in school for five years and you're kind of like doing the math in your head and it's like that's not beneficial for me so I got into retail management worked other jobs a part-time to kind of still maintain that construction uh, knowledge to keep it going because hey 10 years later I'm in the field that I am so I understand where it's like you build all of this and like you said like some of us don't plan for trips some of us don't plan for little goals like hey I need this much money for clothing and especially for us women we, we go through clothes like crazy, depending in our field. If you're in a corporate setting, you're always wearing a, a, like you're wearing those dress pants or that dress or whatever it is. And you're, you're going through them a lot more. Like I, in my field, I wear all my old clothes, but when my old clothes have been worn out after four months, I'm just like, oh my God, I need to buy more clothes because, you know, you, you get mud on them. They get ripped, they get torn apart because, you know, it's, it's the field that you're in. And you have to plan for those little things in order to be able to money manage. So one of the, you know, one of the challenges, I don't know what the data looks like in, in Canada, but in mm -hmm. the United States, like over 40% of college graduates aren't going into work that requires a college degree even. And, and college debt there is enormous. So, that was one of the pieces that we really wanted to hit. The, the cash machine is about um, the main character. Her name is Amber. Mm -hmm. She's an Italian-American girl um, who's 20, how old is she? She's 25 at, at the beginning of the book. Um, and she's just kind of, you know, she went to college, got a teaching degree, is working as a teacher. And of course, at the same time, she's getting a master's because the way it works in the United States with the teachers unions, if you have a master's degree, you get paid more. So she's accruing a tremendous amount of college debt. And um, her college sweetheart disappeared to go off fishing in Mexico. And he hasn't been in touch with him since. And now he reappears in her life. And it turns out that he had dropped out of college because in Mexico, he'd met this fisherman who started teaching him about money. And he really started to understand what money is and how it works and what he wants to do with his money and what's, what his goals are. And put himself into a situation where he's working in construction so that he can learn how real estate functions so that he can slowly start saving to buy his first apartment building. 
And when she meets him, he's now living in his second apartment building. Wow. And he decides that every penny he makes, uh, very, uh, very few of those pennies are going to cover his basic standard cost of living. And the rest of it is going to go into investments. And in the short run, he's going to live very frugally so that in the long run, he can retire very young and have his money working for him. And for her, this is like a tremendous struggle because on the outside, he looks like a bum. Yeah. He, he, he doesn't have a car. He, you know, he's only riding a bike. He's working in construction and he doesn't have a college degree. So he looks like a bum on the outside, but financially his financials and his books on the inside, if you kind of look under the hood are really solid. Wow. But it takes a long time over the course of the novel, really years pass until she really starts understanding what it means to take financial, um, you know, be more frugal in the short run so that you can have a tremendous amount of wealth in the long run. And sometimes having a college degree doesn't really help you with that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the, the foil of his character is this other uh, guy named Kyle, who um, is his best friend. And he goes to law school and he gets this fancy law gig uh, working at this big firm. And he gets a fancy car and he buys the fancy house and gets a really nice engagement ring for his girlfriend. And doesn't own any of it. It's all in debt. And so he now has to work crazy hours as a lawyer chasing after covering all, all of his very expensive lifestyle expenses. Mm -hmm. So his, his life is really expensive. So he looks really wealthy on the outside, but he's actually doesn't have any assets. Most of his stuff belongs to the bank. Yeah. And, he, and the more money he makes, the more money he spends because he's like, oh, I'm making so much money so I can spend that much more. So he, he never really accrues long-term assets that are really helping him to build long-term wealth. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's a great book. And I can tell you that um, here in Canada, you do need a college or university um, diploma certificate. Like that's the bare minimum. Um, it changed over the years because I can say my husband's generation, because we're seven years apart, um, they were able to just hire anybody, even if you were a high school dropout, because a lot of these guys, um, I guess in customs, cultural differences where, you know, if you're European, you are, if you don't go to school and you're a male European here, it's like, if you don't go to school, you get into a trade. You're going to become a roofer, electrician, plumber, whatever it is, because they're going to make more money. And that's what you're told to, because there's no point of you going to school and wasting all that money. Or if you're not going to do anything in school, then you're going to get into a trade. That's the thing. That's the thing here in that generation of his. It's like you are going into a trade because you're going to make more money. And it's, um, it's true. It's you get somebody who went to school for a degree in construction, for example, to become a superintendent or an engineer or whatever. But you look at this trades person who could be anything that is involving the whole process of building this building 
or building houses or whatever it is, they are prone to make more money than the person that went to university to become an engineer or an architect or a consultant, whatever the case may be. And it's crazy because you're, th- you're thinking, if I go to school, I'm going to become this engineer and it's fun, you know, life is going to be fine and dandy. But then when you hear that somebody who's dropped out has been in the pl- in a plumbing industry, let's say for 25 years, they're making twice as much money as that person that went to college or university to become that engineer and you're not making barely any of what the tradesperson is doing. <laughs> and one of the things that people don't talk about is, is the concept of opportunity costs. Mm-hmm. So while that tradesperson is working, the student is not making any money. Yeah. So if the tradesperson is making $50,000 a year over four years, that's $200,000. The student isn't making that's so an opportunity true. cost, right? But if, but it gets even better. If that tradesperson, let's say, lives at home and after taxes and after very minimal expenses is able to save, let's say, 20 to 30 of that 50 every year, mm-hmm. and they're able to invest that money in you know, a basic investment that returns 10% a year, like that's, that's like a relatively safe investment can return 10% a year. Mm-hmm. So then by the time those four years are over, this person has invested let's say 80 or $100,000, that's giving them a 10% return a year. If you think about $100,000 is returning $10,000 a year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they're already making an extra $10,000 a year without doing anything. Yeah. Just because their money is working for them. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, the student is now out looking for a job and they have debt to pay. Mm-hmm. So all of their extra money is now just going to cover debt. Exactly. So it's very hard for the student to ever catch up to the plumber mm-hmm. because if a plumber then takes that $10,000, they make a year and put it back into the hundred. So next year they have 110. And if they take the 11,000 and put it back into the 110, they now have 121. You do that over time. And that 110 or that hundred is going to turn into a million very fast. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's, it's like true. hard to like, right. And, and, and if the student is just, you know, covering their debt, then it's just like all of that money is just going into debt. Canada is not as bad in the United as the United States mm-hmm. the university that I went to. I went to a, a university called Dartmouth college mm-hmm. and to now get a Dartmouth college degree costs 300,000 American dollars. Wow. <laughs> exactly. It's very difficult to recover $300,000. Yeah. It takes, it's a mortgage. It takes 30 years. Yeah. It takes a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I believe it. And it's crazy because even going back to the trade, like I've met so many people through my job that they're like, yeah, you know, um, I've been in this business in so long and they're like, yeah, I met like $65 an hour. Right. And I'm working plus overtime because, you know, you, you have to meet deadlines when you're working for a client that needs to get this building up. And, and for example, three years, cause usually that's turnaround here. And, um, you got this kid who I'm saying kid because they graduated very young, went to school for five years and they're trying to learn the ropes. They're, they're, they're going into co-op programs. And it's like, by the time this person gets a job, 
this young this young kid because they're so young it's like you're not going to barely even make 65 dollars an hour you're going to be making just 20 and that's a huge gap like that's a really huge gap and if let's say someone at his age working in the field you're starting at 30 bucks 35 right away opposed to this other child who has the co-op experience you're only starting off at 20 if you're lucky because of here i know ontario the cost of living is really high and um you know minimum wage everyone's fighting for it because there's no way we can't continue to work three jobs in order to, to live in toronto in the first place right and that's where toronto are all the jobs because if you go sourcing further out you're not going to find as much job opportunities that you do in toronto because it's so busy and fun fact there's like 30 cranes up and a, bun a bunch of buildings so there's a lot of work for tradesperson to get into. <laughs> so, um, so one of the one of the things that we really focused on, we we wrote a book called The Size of Your Dreams. My husband yeah. and I wrote The Cash Machine and The Size of Your Dreams together. Um, and The Size of Your Dreams we published last year, and that book is very much about um, helping people to clarify what is your what's the vision that you want for your life, and how do you manifest your dreams. And we teach very simple, practical tools to help people do that. Main characters in the book are four high school uh, seniors. They're in the 12th year of high school. And um, they're four really different kids with very different uh, passions and interests and uh, life goals. But their goals are really vague because they've been so habituated into, um, into just kind of going with the flow. It's almost like they're like leaves on the river and just going with whatever they're supposed to do. And they're in a high school trigonometry class and they lose their teacher and this new guy comes in and it's very clear the new guy is not a math teacher. He's, he, you know, he's, he made millions in high tech and now he's looking to give back to society. And so he comes to teach this class. And the first thing he does is he gives the kids a, a piece of paper, a blank piece of paper asking, what's your goal in taking this class? And they don't even understand the question. They're like, oh, my goal is to get an A or my goal is to just graduate high school. Um, my goal is to get through it. And he said, that's it? Like, don't you have higher aspirations for yourself than just getting through something? And that's when the kids start really clarifying for themselves what are their goals. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we don't teach young people how to do. So they just go to college because that's what you're supposed to do. And they get exactly. whatever job because that's what you're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. They never really stop to have a vision for their lives. So we have this open home. We have tons of young people coming through our home all the time. There's a lot of students and artists and tourists in our area. And it's, it's something that we do whenever young people come to us for mentoring, which happens a lot. That we ask them, like, what's your long-term vision for your life? And more often than they not, they don't have one. Or it's very vague. Or their long-term desire, they feel like they shouldn't have it or they're not allowed to have it or it's not fair to have it, or it's very much in conflict with what they're doing in the short term. So in the short term, they're in um, you know, a, a degree program or they're thinking of going into a degree program that has absolutely nothing to do with what they want to do long-term with their lives, but they feel like if they don't do a degree program, no one's going to take them seriously. But really what they want to do is start their own business. And entrepreneurs don't need a degree in anything. So it's like a, you know, like for example, as an example, you know, 
or it turns out somebody has like a really clear long-term vision of becoming, I don't know, a physical therapist, in which case they really need to go into a trade program in order to have the skills and the training and the certification that they need in order to do what they're passionate about. Mm -hmm. But until you have that kind of clarity, you don't know. But we don't ask young people these questions. We just kind of tell them what to do. Yeah. So for a lot of us, it's not until we're in our 40s that we sort of wake up and start asking ourselves like, well, what do I want to do? Mm-hmm. And who do I want to be? And with all the life experience I've had, how can I really um, connect to society and support society and contribute in a meaningful way? But if young people are burdened with hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt, they might not have the liberty to be able to ask those kinds of questions. Yeah. No, so I, I prefer def- that people ask them younger. Mm-hmm. I definitely agree with that. And that's something that in schools you don't see. And I wish they were able to, because it's true. You're just following that, what everybody else does, right? Oh, you have to finish school, go into a degree or whatever it is, and then go find a job. And it's just like, uh, you know, it's like my parents, for example, you know, you have to go to school. Well, my mom more, cause she's back home. She was a university, um, Spanish, um, teacher, so it's like my dad didn't even go to school at all. He would just learn mechanic. He taught himself and, you know, with mechanics. And then uh, construction was the big thing. Went to Miami, was working as a roofer, um, worked in framing and all this other. In stucco, he was working there for a couple of years. And then once um, they landed in Canada, it was like, all right, so whatever I taught myself or whatever I learned in Miami as a roofer, I'm going to do it here. And that's what happened. You got into construction you be, mm. and eventually became a framer. But it's when you've got two different parents who are not, well, my mom's the, the school way. My dad wasn't. So when I was growing up, it's like, okay, well, I don't want to go to school, mom, because, you know, because at the time I was like with this learning disability, I, I don't think I was able to do anything because that was my mindset. I was like, I don't think I can do anything. So I'm just going to go find a job and, you know, let's, let's make it work. And she didn't like that. She wanted me to take on the challenge of, of school and really kind of forget about that you have a learning disability and just do it because she's like, get the piece of paper because you're going to regret it if you don't. Because now everything has changed. Now you need to, in order to obtain a job here or apply, you need to have some sort of diploma or degree. Before you didn't need to. Even a city government job before it was just high school. Now it's like you need a college diploma or degree in university, whatever it is but it has to be that you got to show that piece of paper. My dad was very like, you know what? You do what you want. You want to become a soccer player? Go ahead. You want to play basketball for a living? Go do it. You know, go chase your dreams. You want to stay in retail? Go ahead. If you want to do this, go ahead. Like he was very that person. But then my mom was more like, no, you have to go to school. <laughs> yeah. Cause there's something about school that makes people feel safe. Yeah. Even though the data shows that it's not particularly safe anymore. Exactly. Exactly. Wow, Hannah, I, you know, you got to come back and we got to talk more because this is really good. And um, where can we find your books? So my books are all up on Amazon. I have three books. One is called Hold That Thought, mm-hmm. which uh, teaches people how to gain clarity and peace in their lives by gaining mastery over their thinking. Um, and there's the size of your dreams and there's the cash machine, the newest one. Mm -hmm. So you can find out about them on my website, hanamason.com, or you can go on Amazon and order them directly from there. Um, my name is C H A N A M A S O N. 
So my website is just that.com, or you could look me up on Amazon on my author page. And you can also check out my YouTube channel or my Facebook page and follow me there. I post videos um, multiple times a week and um, also have an email list that you can sign up for on my website so you can follow uh, what I'm up to and workshops and retreats that I'm doing in different parts of the world. Awesome. Hannah, I really appreciate all your time and sharing your experiences and sharing your books and um, sharing everything that you're doing. I really, really appreciate it. Um, I, I, I'm so happy to have virtually met you. It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. And, uh, and thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate the time. And keep inspiring others, and especially with that voice you have. You've got the <laughs> voice of a, a speaker, a motivator, and you know, voice to help people. Thank you so much. To all the listeners out there, all of Hannah's information and where to get her books will be in the show notes for you. Thank you again for tuning in on another episode of A Little Bit of Everything with me. And thank you, Hannah, once again. And that's all we have for now. <laughs> Take care. I'm Anthony. And I'm Jessica with the Beautiful Feet Podcast. Hey, it's your boy, Bromar, host of The Bromar Show. Hello, everyone. It's the Coupon Queenpin from the CQP Moments Podcast. What's up, everybody? This is your boy, Ken, a.k.a. The Gentleman of the Gentleman Lifestyle Podcast. Hi, this is Stephanie Valente, your local massage therapist. And, and you're you listening, are to you listening to, to a, little a little bit of everything, everything with Angelica. Angelica. That's it for now. And thank you for tuning in on another episode of A Little Bit of Everything with me. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Just don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on the podcast platform that you're listening to. Are you enjoying a little bit of everything with me? Then buy me a coffee. Yes, you heard right. Buy me a coffee. All the coffee you buy me will go towards new equipment, a backdrop for my YouTube channel, and continue to keep the podcast ad-free, and obviously to keep going with weekly episodes. So buy me a coffee at ko-fi.com slash everythingwithange. Once again, it's ko-fi.com slash everything with Ange. That link will be in the show notes for you. And thank you for buying me a coffee and supporting the podcast.